looks like. Um, man, it was a mess in Corinth. Uh, Paul's trying to address a bunch of these um, kind of from far off from, by letters and sending Timothy and stuff. But anyway, it, boy, it was a mess. So open up your Bible with you. If, you. if you have your Bible, let me just help you thumb through this a little bit and kind of show you what's going on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul doesn't even make it out of, the first, out of the first chapter before he's having to deal with the issues that are going on there. So look with me. It's not going to be on the overhead, but just in your own Bible so that when you're reading, you can kind of make sense of all this. Um, 1 Corinthians Verse one or chapter one, verse ten. It says, um, "I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions." So, very first rattle out of the box, he gives his greetings, he gives his thanksgiving to God, and then right at, right after that, he's he's dealing with problems with division in the church. And then flip over a little bit, um, you can kind of see he's going on about divisions in chapter three. He's talking about the apostles. There's some. There's a lot of discussion in Corinth. Some of the people in Corinth and saying, oh, well, we follow Paul. And there are others in, Paul, in Corinth who are saying, oh, well, we follow Apollos. And then basically Paul's spending a lot of time saying it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about God's wisdom. It's not following a man. It's about a, a, a perfect foundation in the Lord Jesus and the wisdom of God. And, uh, and he's trying to tell him, yeah, quit this supposedly following me and supposedly follow Apollos, and let's worry about what the Lord Jesus wants. Um, in, in chapter 5 then, um, it's actually reported among you that, that there is sexual immorality among you, a kind that even does not occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. So then he's going to go on and address sexual immorality that's happening there in the church, and for some reason they're kind of boasting or proud of it. Um, then in, in chapter 6, verse 1, if any of you has a dispute with a brother, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? So there are even lawsuits. People bring lawsuits against fellow believers in the church. In the middle of chapter 6, in verse 12, he starts talking about more about sexual immorality. Corinth was a place where they had the temple to the goddess Aphrodite, and um, there was under, in the employment there of the temple of this uh, false god or goddess, there was, uh, I, I can't remember the numbers, 2,000 or 20,000, I can't remember, but thousands of temple prostitutes where they um, were in worship. They would engage with prostitution in worship. And not surprisingly, they had some problems with sexual immorality in the church. Funny how things that are in society bleed over into the church. Immorality in society tends to bleed over into the church. Happens today, happened back then, even with the first century church. And then verse 7, there's confusion about marriage. Odd, isn't it, that there would be confusion about marriage in a place where there was sexual immorality? Not really. That was sarcasm. Um, just like kind of we're facing today. Um, in chapter 8, there's confusion about food, sacrifice to idols. Back in those days, they would have people who, would be, who were priests or, or servants at a, a pagan temple who would offer food there at a, at a pagan temple, and then they would go sell it at the market. Some of the believers say, how could I take food that's been sacrificed to an idol? There's a lot of confusion about that. Um, and verse 9, Paul's talking about his own ministry. Um, flip over with me over to um, chapter 11. He's talking about the confusion that there is in their church service. There was something happening there that there was some disorder in their church service. It seemed as though there were some people who thought they needed to be out in front of everyone and, and talking or speaking in tongues or whatever they were doing. And uh, it seemed like things got out of balance where people were kind of saying, uh, look at me, look what I'm doing, my, grace, my, my gift is greater than yours. And Paul in chapter 11 is trying to kind of address all that. In chapter 12, he's talking about then the variety of the gifts. Then we get in chapter 13 where he talks about what? Love. That's right. If Barry Wright were here, right, he would say love. All right. So, um, but this morning, I'll just say love, uh, the, the love chapter in verse 13. It's, it's, um, 
in my mind, anyway, when I read through um, when I read through First Corinthians, it kind of there's all this trouble that Paul's dealing with and trying to address and say you got to quit doing this and you got to keep doing this. But there's all this problem with division, all this problem with immorality in the church, all this problem with relationships that people are having. And it all comes to rest on this one pivotal point in chapter 13 where Paul starts the whole thing at the end of verse 12 that says, now let me show you the most excellent way, the way the NIV puts it. Let me show you, I will now show you the most excellent way way, which is just really profound and beautiful. But here's, let me just tell you kind of, kind of the thing that, that Paul's getting to is that he's saying, be, your whole problem stems from this. You don't love each other. That's kind of the thrust of the entire book of Corinthians. If you would love each other well, all these issues would work themselves out. But because you don't love each other, there's divisions in the church. Because you don't have the right love and approach to things, you have lawsuits amongst believers. Because you don't love each other, someone, someone of you are trying to grandiose in front of everyone and pretend like there's someone that they're not. You're trying to make yourselves more than you are. And if you would address those things, and if you would focus on love, it would deal with almost all your problems, right? Okay. And so look with me. Let's turn back just for a moment. And let me show you really quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's flip back there, and then we'll jump over to 13. 1 Corinthians 3. Let me, tell you, let me show you what, what Paul's saying here. He's talking about the divisions. He's talking about the quarrels that are among them, about them arguing about who follows Paul or who follows Apollos and all this, this lack of unity in the body. And uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, or, or chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he's going to say something really kind of shocking about all the divisions and all the lack of love in the church body. Read with me. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk not solid food, for you were, you were not ready for it. Okay, so, um, and then he says, indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. So let me, let me pause there for just a second. Paul's saying, when I came to you before, I, I was dealing with you as, as children, as infants, as babies, because you weren't ready for me to give you something more substantial. He's basically saying, in the Christian faith, you're like babies. You're like infants. You're not ready for anything else. I can't give you anything but milk because you're not ready for it. It would have been a little bit hard to hear for the, for the church in Corinth. But listen to what he says the problem is. You are still worldly. In other words, the world still has a greater influence on them than the Lord Jesus Christ in this thing. And here it is in the middle of verse 3. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and the other, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Basically saying, you're just like everyone else. You're just like everyone else in the world. And, and he says, and because of that, I can't deal with you. So, so there, uh, on your sheet here, there are some blanks if you'd like to fill them in. They're quarreling and their jealousy and their, their inability to get along in the church of Corinth showed that they were immature in their faith. They were immature. They weren't ready to grow. They weren't ready to mature. And they wouldn't mature until they learned to love each other instead of loving, you know, loving to argue instead. The second thing it says in here, and it was really pretty shocking, it says that their quarreling and their jealousy and their disagreements showed that they were still worldly. 
that would be difficult for a Christian to hear, I would think. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't that be difficult if I, if I came to you and said, you know, I've got some real problems with you. You're still really worldly. Would that hurt a little bit? I think it would. Basically saying that the world still has a greater influence on you or you still have enough, so much of the world in you that you're not ready to progress with Jesus Christ. The last thing, just kind of as I notice here, the quarreling, this is just my uh, interpolation. Not really, I don't know what that word means. Their quarreling showed that Jesus' love had not changed their hearts. Their quarreling showed that Christ's love had not yet changed their hearts, right? That they hadn't progressed, they hadn't grown up, and they were still dealing with problems with other believers because they didn't love each other and that the Lord Jesus hadn't changed their hearts yet. All right, and then we're going to deal with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So right kind of right between the practice. So turn over with me to, to chapter 13. Chapter 12 talks about the variety of spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 talks about how the spiritual gifts are supposed to be um, um, utilized in an environment of love. And then chapter 14 talks very practically about how to do, how to use spiritual gifts. But right in the middle of it is chapter 13 where he's going to talk about the supremacy of love. got to read this yesterday in... in uh, in, uh, during, our, uh, during the wedding, and, and uh, I don't know, it just seemed very appropriate today for us to be talking about love. And really, when you read 1 Corinthians, this is the, this is the point, of, I think, of 1 Corinthians, is that they have a group of believers who think that, that uh, grandstanding is more important than, than my relationship to other believers. That lawsuits, that me, me looking out for the things that, that, someone, that may be in dispute with someone else is more important than my relationship to someone else. That me being fulfilled in my spiritual gifts and being able to exercise it is more important than my relationship to you. And basically what Paul's saying, you've completely missed the point. Completely missed the point. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please. And uh, we'll read the first three chapters and then, and, then, and then go on. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. There's some interesting things in here. Paul says five times, he says, if and all, he says five times. And basically what he's saying here is that if I have the most extreme knowledge, if I have the highest gift of spiritual knowledge that anyone on the world has ever had, if, if, and, and he talks about here, so let's kind of break it down in verse 1. He says, if I speak, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, in other words, if I have the most eloquence of any speaker you've ever heard, and I can tell you, I, and I can tell you, um, I'm sorry, not, not yet, um, but if I don't have, if I don't have long, love, then my message means nothing. It's like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's an empty, hollow sound. It's fruitless. It's meaningless. There's nothing behind it if I don't have love. The second thing, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, in other words, if I'm the wisest guy, if I'm the most knowledgeable person you've ever met, and there's no mystery of God or anything else that is hidden from me but that what I can express it all, and if I have faith that I can move mountains with, but I have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, 
There he talks about giving his possessions to the poor and surrendering his body to the flames. Basically saying, if I'm the greatest martyr and if I give my life in the most spectacular way, if I go out literally in in blazes, right? But if I don't do it in love, I gain nothing. It, It meant nothing. I gain nothing from it. So Paul again and again is saying that if you have the most excellent of gifts, it does not matter if you do not love. How did how is it that uh, how is it that that John said that that Jesus' apostles would be recognized by the world? By this, they will know you are my disciples. If what? If you love one another, this is this is this love is supposed to be a distinguishing mark for Christians. And tell me, why is that? Why are we supposed to be especially, like distinctly, like peculiarly loving? Yeah, God is love. What else? Someone else? God is love, and haven't you received love like that? Haven't you received the, 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 the largest demonstration of love that's ever been given? Haven't you received the greatest love that man has ever known or seen ever in the world that where, where the Lord Jesus Christ, who had committed no sin, laid down his wife, life, and quietly, without saying a word in his own defense, laid his life down for you and me, took on not just death but a shameful death, the death of a criminal, um, and laid his life down for you and, you and I in the greatest story of any hero, right? He laid his life down in the greatest expression of love the world's ever seen. And listen, if you've received that kind of love, it's supposed to matter. It, it's supposed to change the way you look at things. It's supposed to change your attitude. It's supposed to change your behavior. It's supposed to change the way that you treat your husband or your wife. It's supposed to affect the way that you view your neighbors. It's supposed to change the way that you see people at work. It's supposed to change the way that you look at the lost because you've received extraordinary love, profound love, unending love, right? You've received it. You've gotten it from God. Um, but boy, but yeah, well, let's, let's kind of go on. Um, so, so let me tell you, we're, we're going to now start this part that really is about love and, and we'll go through this, um, fairly quickly. There are a couple of things though, um, that, uh, that I want to tell you that the first Corinthians chapter 13, love is not because love is, it's kind of a confusing thing. It's kind of a large topic, isn't it? The first thing in Greek, there are three different words for love. At least there's actually more than that, but three kind of common uh, loves for, for, for love. The first one is eros. That is, if you're filling in your blanks, that is the first one is sexual desire. This is sexual desire or passion. Um, this love is a self-centered love. It's always, always grasping, always seeking its own satisfaction. Um, uh, is that kind of love? That, that's not the kind of love that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I was going to ask you if you'd experienced that kind of love before, but we'll, we won't do that. I won't make anybody raise their hands or anything. The, the, the second one is philia, which is, which is a brotherly love. That's, an, that's a brotherly love. It, it means an affection or friendship. It's talked about in, in families. It's talked about in, in, in terms of relationships between, uh, between people, but basically it's a brotherly love, right? It's, it's, a, it's, the, it's a father's love for his son. It's, a, uh, it's a, um, a, a two brothers' affection for each other. 
um, or love or preference for each other. But it's that kind of love. The word agape is, is so unique, and this is one you're all familiar with. This is the, the, the love that's expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, and agape is kind of interesting. Agape was not used in the time of, of the New Testament writers. There wasn't a lot of um, extra-biblical um, um, uh, writing that had much to do about agape, but it, it was used some, and when it was, it was kind of a, it's kind of a cold word. It just kind of means esteem. Like, uh, you know, you esteem maybe someone you, look, you work with, someone that you look up to, maybe you esteem them. But the New Testament writers took the word agape and adopted it into the New Testament and said, this is how we're going to describe God's love. It's an agape kind of love. And this is much different. First of all, it's a self-sacrificing. That's your blank there. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's, it's the New Testament equivalent that you've heard me talk about of the Old Testament Hebrew word chesed. That is that self-sacrificing love of God, that unending love of God where he says, my decision to love you is not based on your behavior. It's based on my decision and my person that I am a loving God and I'm going to show my love and my favor to you no matter what. And no matter what the Israelites did, no matter how many times they fell over and over and over again and and failed to be faithful to God, he said, but I won't let you go I'm going to remain faithful to you no matter what. And that is basically the terminology that we get in in agape in the New Testament. Um, So so here we go. I'm going to read this part the first time. And as we go through it, and I've given you some notes there to kind of expound a little bit on what each of those terms mean about love. But let me tell you, whenever you read the scriptures, I want to, I want to every time, every chance I get, I, or every time I remember, I want, to, I want to show you what you should be doing when you're reading the Bible for yourself, right? When, it, when, when it, you're not here listening to me, um, or, or I'm here, I want you to read, the, you've got to be able to, we all got to be able to read the Bible for yourself. So the first time I read it, I want you to listen for, um, and we should do this without any passage, but you should listen for, a, there are a couple things. The first thing is this, is that you should listen and say, what does this tell me? What does this teach me about God? Okay, so when I read this, I want you to think about that. What what is this telling you about God? Okay, you ready? Love is patient. Is God patient? Has he been patient with you? Yeah. Love is kind. Is God kind? Yeah. It does not envy. Does God envy? He does, actually. This is kind of unique to God, right? God, the only, only being in the universe for whom jealousy and envy is appropriate, right? Because he says, you love something else besides me, you're going the wrong direction, right? You love me, and, and he is a jealous God, different than us, right? If, if we're envious or jealous, it doesn't have the same, uh, have the same uh, meaning. It does not boast. It is not proud. Is God proud? No, no, he sent his son as a servant, right? It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Is God self-seeking? It is not easily angered. Is God easily angered? No, we kind of covered this already. He's very, very patient, isn't he? It keeps no record of wrongs. Aren't you glad God keeps no record of wrongs for you and for me? But, But he forgets, he chooses to forget our sin. Amen? Love does not delight in evil. Aren't you glad God doesn't delight in evil? Aren't you glad God's not like the, the kid on the ant hill who puts the, the, the magnifying glass on the ants and delights in, in, in burning it? Nah, God's not like that. But rejoices with the truth. God loves truth, triumphs with truth. Love always protects. God always protecting us. Yeah. 
God always trusts. God always trusting, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God never fails? Now, that's, a, that's the first way to read it. And, and that, that, man, that, you could spend days just on these verses, on, on these few verses, just thinking and pondering and, 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 and uh, meditating on all these kind of aspects of love, which is one of the definitions of who God is, right? You, you could spend some time just, 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 just meditating on, the, on what that means and how God is loving toward us, how God has been patient toward us. You could think about how he's been patient toward Israel and how he's been patient with you and your life and how he's been patient with your children and how you need to be more patient with your children, right? Uh, but anyway, um, so that's the first way to read it. But the second way to read the Scripture in a, in a really good way, this is in James chapter 1, verse 22. James is talking about how we need to use the Scripture not just to learn about God, but also to learn about ourselves. And he, he, he uses the metaphor. He says, he, uses the, he says the Word of God is like a mirror that a man goes and he looks at himself in the mirror to examine himself. So the first thing is, wh- what does the Word say about God? The second thing is, well, what does it say about me? What does it say, what does it teach me about myself? And, if, and, and basically, James says, as he says, the word is perfect. But, and when I look in the word like a mirror, I begin to see what? I'm imperfect. There are things in my life that need to change. There are things about me that are, that are not like they should be. When I compare myself to the word of God, I, I don't measure up. There are things that I need the Lord God to, to help me work with and to change in my life. So, so let's look at it this way. Now, love is patient. Are you patient? Love is kind. Are you kind? Are, are, are you loving and merciful? It does not envy. In other words, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's not jealous of others. It's not jealous of other people. It's not jealous of their stuff. It's not jealous of their looks. It does not boast. Do you try to impress other people by your words? Do you try to impress other people by, by your show? You know? It is not proud. That means it's not conceited or arrogant. It doesn't have any inflated ideas about itself. It doesn't try to make itself more than it is. Right? It doesn't care about its own reputation. You care about your reputation more than you should. It is not rude. That means it, it doesn't treat people unfairly. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't insist on its own way. This is hard for us, isn't it, as people? We all think we know better than everyone else, right? Every one of us thinks, well, I know this better than you, and, and, and this is how we ought to do this. And this is one of the struggles of marriage right here. We always think we know better than our spouse, right? This is one of the difficulties. This is one of the ways that, Gary, that, that God takes marriage, and, and he begins to show us to, you know, very plainly and very obviously that, you always think you're smarter than your spouse, right? Is that what love is like? Is that what God is like? Is that, what, is that how God would, would want us to be? Yeah, I'm going to start some fight. It's going to be a good day for you all, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. A preacher was reading it. It sounded just like you. All right. It keeps no record of wrongs. You keep record of wrongs? You, you keep, do you keep hold of those arguments, of those fights? You, someone's wounded you and you refuse to let go? Is that what God's called us to as believers? Hasn't he forgiven us a greater debt than anyone could ever have against us? He'd have us forgive, wouldn't he? D- 
do not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Are you glad when the truth comes out? You like to hide in, in kind of shades of gray? Or are you glad when the truth comes out? It got, love always protects. Are you always protecting? Love always trusts. Are you trusting? Love always hopes. Are you always hopeful? It always perseveres. That means it doesn't give up when things get hard. Are you apt to give up when things get hard? I know uh, there's some people, some couples in particular, just seem to, <laughs> to give up all the time. Love never fails. That means that love is going to go on, and what he's talking about here is not just in relationships, but what he's saying here is that, and what he'll say a little bit later, is that the whole world will end and love will go on. Yeah, Because God is love, and because that's how he's created his kingdom, and that's how he's created his people to be. Now, um, let, me, let me encourage you this way. Let me, let me encourage you this way um, to say that my love is not perfect. I look at this and, and I see so many times, I mean, I could look at almost every one of these and think of examples where, yes, I've blown that one. Yeah, I've not been patient. No, I've not been kind. Yes, I've been envious. All these, you, yeah, every one of us. Well, here, here's, here's the deal. How, we, you know, what do we do with this passage? Do we, do we look at it and then, and then James says is that, uh, is that, uh, you know, what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't look at it and then go away and think, ah, well, forget all that, right? No, this is what we've been called to, is to be and reflect the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, to look more and more like our Creator. This is what He's called us to be like and to look like. And so what does it drive you and I to do? Pull out your hair and say, oh, this is hopeless? Uh, no, no, good start, but no. Um, what it drives me to is that I need a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. I need more of the work of his Holy Spirit in me to make me look like his son. I've got to have it. I I need that. I need that relationship every day. I've got to have it. And it gets me where I need to be in the word more regularly. I need to be in prayer. I need to be in meditation. I need to let it be going deeper into my life and not just in my head and forgotten. Amen? Amen? You too? All right. All right. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm going to dismiss. I'll let us go here today. And then those of you who'd like to um, help out with the uh, worship ministry in the sound booth or, or uh, here up on stage playing or singing or whatever, stick around for just about five minutes afterwards and Jamie will give us a little uh, a schedule that he's put together. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this example of love. And we thank you, Lord God, that you've shown us incredible love, just profound love that we, you just don't see really anywhere else in the world, um, that, that a man would lay down his life um, just absolutely selflessly and, and without a word, without, without a, any argument, selflessly for us. And, and so, Lord, we thank you. We, we praise the Lord Jesus. He, he truly is our hero. He really is our rescuer. He truly is our Savior and Redeemer, and he truly is the lover of our souls. So, Lord, we thank you for this example. We pray, make us more like that. Give us a greater love for each other, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray for us here at Calvary, Lord God, that, that, that you would put down the divisions, that you would put down the, the, uh, the back-talking and the, the talking around corners about people and just put all of that down, Lord God, and let us surrender it all for the sake of love. I pray. Help us, Lord. We are, we are mere men. We, we, we are just like the Corinthians. We, we struggle with those same things. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who are loving distinctly, 
peculiarly lovely, loving. Lord, help us to walk in your way. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you all. Y'all have a great week.